Mineshaft, a statue in an empty lake, unusual funeral rites in a starving community. Find this and more in Caitlin Marceau's newest collection of short horror from Ghost Orchid Press. Do you dare to venture into a blackness absolute? Available wherever books are sold. I am ready. Ready for me to throw it to you at random times tonight? Always. <laughs> and welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined by my friend Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And my other friend, Erica Robbins. Say hello, Erica. Hello. And my third friend, Candace Nola. Say hello, Candace. Hello. Today we are talking with author Caitlin Marceau. Say hello, Caitlin. Hello, Caitlin. <laughs> what got you into horror? I, I didn't like horror um, when I was younger. I had like night terrors and sleep paralysis. And I still do have sleep paralysis sometimes, which is just fun. But like growing up, I was scared of everything. Um, like I, I remember distinctly like Lunette the Clown was like one of my favorite childhood shows. And then I had just like one nightmare where she had like the longest arms in the world and was like chasing me. And it just, I don't know, I just, I was scared of everything. Um, and then I kind of got exhausted of just like being afraid of like literally everything and then just tried to binge watch as much horror content as I could because my mom and dad were huge fans of it um so I was a massive disappointment as a as a child um because of that uh and then I overcorrected and now I can't get enough horror it's like my favorite thing so that's interesting oftentimes you'll hear the opposite that parents try to prevent kids from watching certain horrors yeah um, Candace, do you have anything? I have anything. I have a whole list of questions for Caitlin. Let's go. My blood type is A positive, Candace. Let's just get that one. Like, I'm 5'8". Okay. That, that um, gets the first three questions out of the way. Size. Uh, I'm a size 9. Unless they're Me like too. boots. Unless they're boots, though. I want nine and a half in boots because I wear like the Me big socks. Oh, great. So when I kidnap you, we're good. We can share clothes and everything. Awesome. I hope so. <laughs> oh. um, my next question is, who is your favorite author right now and why is it me? <laughs> Brennan, you've created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I don't know. Okay, if I have to answer that honestly, um, I don't know if I have like a favorite author right now. Um, but I, I mean, I guess... For like this present moment, I've I've started consuming like Tim McGregor's uh, Wasps and the Ice Cream, and that mm. is like an absolute like I feel like a lot of books do nostalgia like really heavy handed to the point of like exhaustion, and this one just feels like an actual like sincere coming of age story with like nostalgia done in earnest. Like it's just really really well done. It's not too nice. much. So like, and his his book Lore was amazing. Like it absolutely. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, so I guess Tim McGregor is the if it can't be Candace Noel. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, can always be me. I guess, you know. <laughs> it we'll always will slide. be Candace. <laughs> I like this. You're coming out of your um, shell. 
Wow. So, okay. I guess you answered, you technically answered my next one. So Pat, do you want me to keep going? Cause I actually have a list and I read and I studied and I made notes. Um, how about we go? How about we go to Erica first? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I also have a list, so <laughs> feel free to bounce Great. around. Um, oh, which one do I want to do first? I guess one thing that I have is more of a, a comment. Um, I was reading, and I gotta ask how to pronounce it. Fem femina. Yeah, femina. Okay, cool. Um, I was reading that. And reading the table of contents, I saw the title in utero. Anything about birth right now is kind of off the table for me. It's just <laughs> terrifying. Don't want to read about it. I was so nervous. And I thought I was like, I should reach out to Caitlin and ask if I'm going to be okay reading that one. But I was like, you know what? No, just go into it. Whatever. No. I don't want to spoil that one. But I just wanted to say that like, when I hit a certain point in that story, my jaw like literally dropped open. I was just like, what <laughs> so I just wanted to say that one was like absolutely incredible I loved the just I guess twist is what I'm gonna go with but um I love horror stories where you kind of have an inkling where you think it might be going just from the title and then you're completely wrong so thank you very much for that one <laughs> <laughs> no problem and also I wish you'd asked me before you read it I could have warned you and been like, no, this is not a story you want to you want to approach. No, all good. All good. Oh. I was fine. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I guess send me the therapy bills. I mean, <laughs> Totally. Oh. Um, then also talking about just like brutal emotion and things like that. Uh, you have a book called This is Where We Talk Things Out. And it was definitely emotionally brutal to say the very least. So I wanted to ask you, do you have like checkpoints that you touch base with yourself as you're writing really dark stories like that, just to make sure you're not dipping too far into the darkness? Do you kind of just let it roll? What's your process like with that? Oh man. So like, I'm kind of weird in the sense that like, I'm that person who like meticulously outlines everything. Like I know it's like the pantsters and like the outliners. I like take outlining to like a new level where I'm like, and this is where the emotional breakdown happens. And this is what she's going to think to herself. And I might as well just like write the whole story out because I just like do. And then I rewrite it essentially. Um, so like when I'm going through the outline, kind of like after the fact, I'll do like two, three, four outlines until it's like, I mean, like perfect, but like it's never perfect, right? It's the, it's the curse of art, I think. Um, but I, I write it until I'm satisfied with it. And then I'll just kind of like write the whole story, usually in like a, first of like a couple of days, maybe like a couple of weeks and then like edit it from there. But usually during the outlining process, I'll go through and I'll be like, okay, so how bad is this? Like emotionally, traumatically bad, how is this doing? And um, sometimes I like lean into that. Like with this one, I so I, I don't know if anybody cares if I spoil the ending of this book so early in the podcast. Does no, it's up mind? to you. You're the author. Okay. Oh, I don't care if it's spoilers. I'll ruin it for everyone. <laughs> heads up <laughs> um but like so at the end of the book right she is trapped at this cabin and she's never gonna leave and originally I had actually thought that was too dark of an ending and I had changed it and I was like she's actually gonna hurt her mom bad enough that the mom is like unable to leave the cabin and like now needs to depend on her daughter forever and like I was gonna kind of end it so that the kid decides like so that Miller decides to stay at the cabin because of how badly she's hurt her mother 
And I, I was going to kind of have her like willingly stay. And I was like, it just didn't feel right to do that. And I just leaned in wholeheartedly to like the worst ending. I'm going to say I could have. So that's sometimes I care about the ending in terms of like how dark it gets. But like sometimes I, I want it to, as in utero shows. Sometimes I want it to go there. Miller's mom sucks. <laughs> I am. Um, I know people like her. My wife has a. Uh... And and this isn't an implication of uh, my mother. Her mother is what I'm about to say might come off that way. But uh, she's my wife's a, a social worker, and um, she's really smart with approaching people because she studies this. She has a master's in this, and um, and she really kind of like helped me understand boundaries. And and man, it's just it feels like it's so much easier to uh, give in. And to apologize like Miller does, but that's so the opposite of what you should do. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I would have known that still if it wasn't for my wife because um she broke everything down and um it's not easy. So my question to you is <laughs> a lot of your stories really just piss me off. I got a short fuse, and that is not yeah, Brennan's laughing. That is not any kind of bad thing you're right is excellent piss me <laughs> off because i know people like the characters you wrote like the boyfriend and femina i forgot who it was but he's just a complete asshole just is not he's not nice in any way to his girlfriend i forget both their names i apologize for that that's oh, all good <laughs> and and it, i'm i'm getting pissed off because i'm like this is why people think us guys are fucking assholes because of so many of you dicks um, there's really no question. I just wanted to save uh this talking point for the show to tell you you're just your your dialogue is excellent. Um and it's really snappy. Actually, I do have a question. Is there any writer that you um for me it's like Joe Lansdale and Ronald Kelly that have really good snappy dialogue? I kind of look up to them for that stuff. Is there any writer or writers for you that that you look up to and you're like, man, I wish I could I could write my dialogue or my pace and could be something like that. Oh man. I, I always feel like an asshole when I don't have like a good author that I like look up to, but like, no, not really. Like I think so like, this is going to, again, this is going to make, oh, I'm going to look like such a dick. But like, one of the things for me is like growing up, I went to, I went to creative writing at university and there were a lot of authors like in the program with me. And most of my professors were authors in some way. And they always were like, you should aspire to write like X, Y, Z. And it was always like, I'm so sorry, some dusty old white man. And I'm like, I really don't want to write like that. Uh, so I made a point of trying to not write like anyone in particular. Uh, and I just try to write like myself. So there's no one that I really like aspire to write like because I was intentionally like not writing like anyone as far as I was going out of my way to do. That makes sense. Um, Erica, I kind of jumped in there. So do you want to pick up or if not you, Brennan? No, I was done with my question. So we can jump to Brennan. Yeah. Pat, I, I, I love how you managed to uh, turn compliments of uh, Caitlin's book into a uh, uh, a statement of not all men. Great job, buddy. Um, <laughs> Wait, before you go any further, I would like to point out Brennan is not wearing a hat today. Distraction. That's not what I meant. 
I'm not the bad guy here. Fuck you, Brennan. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty weak distraction, man. Um, all right. So, Caitlin, one thing I'd love to ask you about is, you know, you've you, productivity. You are just, you know, everywhere uh, right now. And uh, even, you know, whether it's novellas, collections, whatever you're putting out, um, you're doing a lot with Dark Lit, which at some point we can definitely geek out about how great it is working with Andrew. But yeah, <laughs> you, you've also got, you know, stuff coming out with uh, Ghost Orchid, with uh, with Timber Ghost. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about not putting all your eggs in one basket and just spreading the, the, the work around. Yeah. So, OK, so I, I want to say I went into everything with like a meticulous strategy and I was like really intelligent and I'm just a badass bitch when it comes to writing. Uh, and the reality is that it was pure dumb luck, absolutely accidental. Oh my God, what in the fuck? Um, I had like sent out, so I sent out a collection, uh, a Blackness Absolute actually, um, to a publisher in 2021. I think it was 2021. Um, it was, sorry, it's been a while. I sent it out in 2021 to one publisher. I sent Palimpsest out to Gore Circuit Press at the same time. And then I had like sent <laughs> Magnum Opus. <laughs> and this is where we talk things out, kind of all out at the same time. I had like written them like at the same time. It got really weird. Um, and then I sent them out to a bunch of publishers thinking to myself that like, maybe if I'm really, 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 really so lucky and the universe is just feeling generous, one of them will get picked up. And then all of them got picked up in the span of, I kid you not, 60 days. I had like all of them roll in for like, yeah, it was just like really, really weird. Um, and since then, I've had like a really beautiful opportunity to continue working with each of these publishers. Um, and I, I I could kind of admittedly stay with like one or two of them, but I do like getting to work with different editors because they're all such different styles, right? Like I absolutely love Andrew. I think he approaches it just fantastically. He's just like, I don't know, he is like one of like the top tier editors to me. But like so was Cody, so was Antonia, and so was Kat from Here is Screen Press. Um, they're all just like so different in how they approach publishing. And I like them all so much that like I can't imagine like only putting all of my stories with one publisher because like they do all hit different markets also, right? Like I think a lot of time writers sign with a publisher and they kind of feel that pressure to like stay with them until, you know, the sun explodes kind of thing, right? Or until they stop writing. Uh, and just because of the pure dumb luck, I don't really feel like I have to have that loyalty to one publisher over the other. Um, and that I do kind of get to diversify. And I, I think just, again, just kind of on my own experience of like the books I put out, it's been really interesting to connect with like very different audiences with really different material. Because like Palimpsest is in no way, shape or form anywhere close to like, this is where we talk things out, which is in no way, shape or form the same kind of like almost Poe-esque kind of vibe of Magnum Opus. And it's nice getting to work with these different publishers who want to push like, the vibe I'm selling for each book. So like if I could encourage writers to not stick with one publisher, that would kind of be like, weirdly enough, my thing, like definitely have loyalty to your publisher, but like, don't be afraid to like make connections with other ones also. Cause like, I don't know, I've learned so much from each of these editors that I can't imagine where I'd be now if I hadn't had that experience with them. So like, yeah. Yeah, and you, you make a really good point. It is. I, 
I imagine it'll be a little bit different placing multiple books with multiple presses in a 60 day period like you did. But <laughs> yeah. when you put a book or even two books with one place, all of a sudden there's kind of like a, um, there's a sense of loyalty there where you almost yeah. feel obligated, you know, nothing's in writing, nobody might even say anything, but you almost feel obligated. Well, I should give this press first, you know, chance to pick up what I have coming out next. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, just that the, you know, avalanche of acceptances for you almost quells that a little bit. Now, I, I, I do wonder, like, with you kind of, um, you know, lucking out, so to speak. <laughs> Very um, much so to speak. <laughs> well, I hate to phrase it like that. No, you're a good you writer. Knock it off. Yeah, exactly. You don't I, end up I... with all of that. Look, don't get me wrong. I think I'm a fantastic-ish writer in that sense. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't think I'd be published if I was absolute trash. But it is absolute dumb luck. I, I will just say. Because, like, like realistically, like, let's be honest. There's so many good writers who are all querying and all submitting at the same time to the same markets. So, like, I think as talented as any author is, there is a little bit of luck that plays into that. So it is sheer dumb luck to have like four books in 60 days man like, well that's where i want to go with that. i want to i want to talk about the i, I want to quantify the dumb luck if you will so yeah. obviously talent plays a role you can try and deny it but it kind of has to nobody's gonna buy your book if you can't write but um yeah. when you are you know for, for newer writers people looking to place projects and things like that do you have anything that you did at the querying stage, at the relationship building stage that you feel may have contributed to that, like just burst of success? Yes, 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 and no. I guess is the best way to phrase it. So, like, so how do I, I don't know how to phrase this in a way that's going to sound like not weird. So, okay, so Femina was actually placed with a different publisher before it came to Darklit Press. So like one of the things I didn't mention is there were two publishers in addition to all the things that worked out really well who also picked up two of my books. Uh, one of them was Femina uh, and the other one was A Blackness Absolute. Um, those had both been picked up by two publishers. I don't want to, I'm not going to mention the publishers because like I don't want to, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I pulled my books from both of them. So it's kind of one of the reasons why I'm like, it doesn't matter who agreed to pick no. them up. Yeah, they're showing you know? about that. That's what yeah. <laughs> like, names don't have to be said. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were picked up. I think if it hadn't been for the fact that I had had a really great relationship with Ghost Orchid Press for Palimpsest, that like, I don't think they would have picked up a Blackness Absolute. Because like, I even when I wrote to them, I was like, I have no idea if this is anything you want. Maybe. <laughs> Please. <laughs> And like, it just worked out that Antonio was like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm down to publish another collection next year. Like, this will be great. And I was like, you know, like I was sweating a little bit. And then same with Andrew, like Femina had come from another publisher. Um, he had already signed, this is where we talk things out. And we'd actually been in discussion about the potential of like publishing a second book with him. And then I was like, hey, this is, you know, I'm shooting my shot here. But like, it just so happens that I pulled this book. Are you at all interested in collections? Because I know like you don't have a ton and like, I don't really know if you're, you know, some publishers don't want collections. So like, I don't want to like burden you with this book. That's like, you know, a new collection. And he's like, absolutely. <laughs> We're like <laughs> signing it, you know? So I think kind of having my foot in the door on those ones certainly helped. I also will say that like, when it comes to getting a publisher, 
being rejected by one also is an odd thing that helps you. Timber Ghost Press uh, actually passed on one of my books. They, they were like, it's fine, but it's just like not what we're looking to publish at this time. But like I had established that relationship with Cody. I was aware of like the stuff that they were publishing. I was aware of like what their vision was kind of moving forward more than I had when I first sent them my work. And so when I came back with Magnum Opus, I was like, oh, this actually I think will fit you. You know, how, how do you feel about this work? And it, it did work out. They, you know, they published it. So I think like a lot of writers are afraid of querying and then being rejected because they're like, oh God, you know, they rejected my manuscript. I can never send to that publisher again. Like I'm dead to them. And like, no, <laughs> keep sending them stuff. Every time they reject you, you get a little closer to what they, they are looking for, you know? And like, you can kind of, I don't want to say like self-reject, but like self monitor, you know, you, you kind of figure out where you should be sending your work the more you get a no. So like that, that definitely helped with, with the publishing. Um, yeah. And just don't be add, an asshole. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a good tip for anybody, <laughs> for everything. Um, I would also <laughs> add to that for, again, you know, newer writers that if a press says, you know, send us, please submit again in the future. In my experience, they always mean that because they always yeah. get so much stuff that if they really don't like your stuff, all they have to do is not include that last line. Typically, they did see something they liked. It just wasn't a good fit at the time. Yeah, I think that's a lot. I think it's like one of the things that a lot of writers, like especially new ones, are afraid of is that a no means a no forever. Like it's it's a not this time. It's a no for the rest of your writing career. You're dead to us, and we will never publish you. <laughs> you failure. You know, like and it's it's definitely not that. It's just a this doesn't work for us right now. Because again, like I mean, I mentioned earlier, there's so many great writers who were all writing for the same submission call, the same publishers, querying at the same time with, you know, books that are all different, but also explore a lot of similar ideas and themes. It's it's kind of a crapshoot at times. And just because you didn't get a yes this time doesn't mean you won't get a yes tomorrow, you know? So. Brennan, I thought you were going to go. Um, I'm wondering I was going to throw there's... it to Candace unless you have something to say. No. No, I just had one stupid comment about the the. Oh, I wonder, <laughs> there's got to be one person like that, and listening. They're like, "Hey, they're talking about me." <laughs> Same names, Caitlin. Okay, moving on to Candace. <laughs> moving on, to me. Um, I got nothing. This is why I love her. I this, all of that, all of that needed to be said. Oh, there are hundreds of people who needed to hear every word you just said. <laughs> I tell that to a lot of the newer ones that I work with and mentor and all and all of that. It's there's so many presses and publishers and magazines out now that are looking for a wide range of things. And this one has this certain um, item that they want to check off their list and this one wants this one and this wants this and you have to learn what they want you have to learn what their vision is and no don't put all your eggs in one basket because there's so many of them out there all of that is yeah <laughs> absolutely correct 
Um, for future reference, everyone can find Caitlin in my basement because she will not <laughs> live with me. And I will keep her snug and warm because this is my spirit animal. And <laughs> yeah. You I'm glad that you're going to keep me warm because I have really bad circulation and I am a big <laughs> baby. So like. Nope. I'll keep you snug and warm. You'll be well okay. fed. And all your publishers can find you right here with me <laughs> because you and I are going to be like the dream team. I that's bullshit. You already write for five people. I and mean, Caitlin does the same. So you got ten people in one two bodies. I mean, I write for about seventy-two pe people right now. And you know, I edit for twenty-seven and I'm mentoring twelve and I'm editing for eighteen. Um, yeah, I have time to take care of her too. It's, it's fine. Oh my god. I am burnt out hearing you. <laughs> I'm burnt out listening to me half the time, but you know. Um, so <laughs> Pat mentioned the boyfriend in the one collection. I believe he was referring to the story about the woman undergoing the weight loss. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, I was listening Holy to that. I was listening to that while I was at work. It was like Oh man, I want to smack this guy so hard. He's sucking a dick. You did. That's why I said your stuff pisses me off because it's so real. There's so many people like that, but not all men, Brennan. Yeah, yeah. But see what this is. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna reveal a little bit about me here. So my question on that particular story is: Do you know someone personally that went through one of those? Because you nailed it. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I, I've had, so I, I mean, I don't know if I've ever talked about it too publicly, but I've had two gastric surgeries. I had one in 2016. So I, so I have hip dysplasia um, and I've had like a whole bunch of issues with my hip. And basically I ended up going to the doctor and they were like, here are your options. We do a hip replacement before you're 30 and like you wear it out and we have to do this whole long song and dance with your hip for the rest of time. Or we take this chance and we have weight loss surgery done and like, you know, we hope it, it's not, you'll still have to get a hip replacement, but maybe not right now, you mm -hmm. know, like maybe just like having lighter weight will, will, will do you some good. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I have asthma too, like I mentioned. So like, it's kind of nice to have like, you know, less strain on my lungs. So I was like, let's yeah. go for it. And the process was a nightmare. <laughs> Every doctor I spoke to assumed I was there because I hated myself and that I should actually hate myself. Like if I didn't, mm. they hated me for me. <laughs> like they, they were very clear about where I stood on their list of people they liked and it, it wasn't near the top. Mm. Um, every time, cause like, again, like I, I was like 300 plus pounds at one point. So I'd go to the doctor and it was like, Hey, I, I broke a bone. Have you tried not being fat though? <laughs> have you, have you considered, uh, <laughs> How bones will heal if you're not if you're not fat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, I, I you know, I, I have a of a nosebleed because of the extra pounds. <laughs> like, oh, sir. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was it was its own nightmare. And then like the second I like lost the weight from the surgery, then suddenly it was like the smallest inconvenience was like taken a bit more seriously. I was I'm still a woman, so they don't like me, <laughs> but like they like me a little more now, you know. Yeah. Now, now it's not everything is blamed on my weight. Now it's just yeah. like, are you exaggerating because you have ovaries? <laughs> so, you know, right, right. That's happened with my wife before. I've gotten really not yelling, but I've gotten pretty pissed at doctors for 
my wife's fucking smart. I'm like, are you? She knows her body, motherfucker. You know, I'd say that, but we. The the yeah, second like terrible. the second gastric surgery I had to have was actually yeah. in 2020, 2021, 2021. Excuse me. And it's because they fucked up the first one. My my. I mean, I, I think I mentioned it, but like my voice never used to sound like this. It was never so like husky. Um, I used to like even in my twenties, people would call my house and I'd answer the phone and be like, hey, are your "Parents there, child?" Oh my <laughs> god, I'm spit that coffee out. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just sounded, you know, a, a lot more childish and a lot less Mike Wazowski, you know, like that sort of tone. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I had to get a second surgery because like my my esophagus was being eroded by acid reflux. I had a hernia. I was in constant pain, and I'm telling them this, and they're just like. Maybe you're just exaggerating because you're you're a little bitch. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> you know, fuck me, I suppose. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I ended up having to get uh like um a guest gastrectomy, I want to say it is, and they put the camera down. Mm-hmm. And then everyone was like shocked to see that there was a hernia, that like my esophagus had been like totally burnt because of acid reflux and that like they had in fact like messed up with like intubation and that's why I'm so like husky sounding and they were like startled and I'm like oh man if only I hadn't complained about this for six years we might not have known (laughs) anyways yeah the the long answer was yeah I I do have experience with that well I asked because I had one last March and um, like you nailed it. Like everything that she was going through, you absolutely nailed it. And everything that you just mentioned. Yeah. Same, same across the board, same attitude from every doctor across the board, two straight years. And before that it was 20 years of, have you tried not being fat? Oh yeah. you do realize you've operated on my spine five times and I'm fat because I haven't been able to walk for, you know, the most of the last 12 years, but sure. Let's try that. Same experience. Everything she felt like everything you wrote in that, I was like, she knows somebody or something because, Oh yeah. Spot on spot on. Yeah. Was it all male doctors? Unfortunately. Yeah. And you'd be surprised because a lot of the nurses that I had too. Were the same, same way, same way. So horribly fat. Like the thing, Mm -hmm. okay, the thing that frustrates me so much is like fat phobia in general is just like terrible. It's absolute bullshit. Weight has no correlation to health. Like, let's just accept this, right? At at this point in time, let's all accept that as like just fact. Mm -hmm. But then, like, to be fat phobic with like patients who are already at their most vulnerable, and then like to make them continuously feel like ashamed of not only like who they are, but the treatment they're seeking, plus the recovery time. Like, it's absolutely absurd, the attitude of the people. And like, I understand, like, I, don't, I don't even understand, but like, if you're if you're a doctor in like another department and you're like a fat phobic asshole, that's, that's bad enough. But to be the person who is going to see me like naked on the operating table, who has to take my recovery seriously right. is like another thing. Like, like, again, I don't really talk about it, but like the surgery that I had in 2021, also didn't go great. I have been throwing up for well over a year and like they didn't care. Like I couldn't hold food down for like months at a time. Mm. And they were just like, oh, have you tried eating? Fucking <laughs> 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 Yeah. Yeah. It it was yeah. Yeah. They're just like they're absolutely anyway. It's awful. Mm. 
That's that's a very long conversation, but like fuck that system in particular. <laughs> I got something yeah. that's relatable to that. Um, I'm obviously not going to name who, but a, you know, family family member of mine uh, suggested a doctor that they know, and because um, I put it out there, I'm looking for specialists in uh, you know ADHD and autism and things of that nature who are also readers or just want to come on and talk. Cause there's a lot of people that I talk to that listen to the show that could probably benefit from that. Luckily I got some, a partner that's smarter than me. That's Brennan. And uh, he's like, you should reconsider this guy. Just read the first page of his book. And right off the bat, it's talking about how if your ADHD is not a real thing and it, oh. it's this, Brennan, you're a lot smarter at it. So if you're comfortable with it, can you take over from this point on? If, if not, I'm honest, I'm man, it's been it's been so long since I, you know, checked that guy out that I don't remember exactly what the red flags are. I just know that they were numerous and very crimson. Um, <laughs> it's it, it, you know, it's when I when I did my master's degree, I did a lot of work on um, teaching music to not just kids, but uh, autistic people and the, and, and, and it w- with a lot of um, kind of overflow, I suppose, into ADHD and other neurodivergencies. And a lot of that work, you know, involved, <laughs> it seems so obvious when you say it, but just talking to adults with, you know, autism um, and just, garnering kind of their experiences and you learn to parse out a lot of the language that you know experts i mean it's one of those things also where it's a blanket statement but nine times out of ten when somebody says that they are an expert on adhd or an expert on autism they're so full of shit that it's leaking out their ears um yes so that that was essentially this guy um but i don't i again i don't remember what the specifics were well, I do. One sticking point, and then I'll drop it because I think it's worth pointing out. Um, I have been diagnosed as a child, and I was diagnosed last year with uh, severe ADHD. And um, this guy basically said in his book for uh, people with ADHD that a, it's a learning habit, and uh, that you can um, basically it's it's not it's not a neurological disorder. And that really just, I just wanted to bonk him in the nose. Cause it's like, dude, do you think for like 30 plus years, I've wanted to be a pain in everyone's ass, including myself? Like, obviously I can't learn the same fucking way. And then he had really ugly things to say about autistic people. So needless to say, he, he was never on the show. Cause as soon as that, you know, was brought to my attention, I was like, yeah, I guess start vetting people. <laughs> the, but, the way people like dismiss ADHD and autism is like, it's awful and also like it's so absurd sometimes that it like almost falls into like the line of parody like I so I didn't know I had ADHD and I didn't know I like had ASD um until I had a soft diagnosis actually like later last year it was like at the end of 2022 that I was like hey like why are all of these things really difficult and then the doctor I was like oh well you're autistic <laughs> I'm like oh I mean, what? <laughs> no one told me this. Like <laughs> 32. <laughs> Help me here. What? And then we were going over some. He's like, yeah, I'm 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 pretty sure. Like, we're we're gonna have to send you to like a psychiatrist. Cause here in Quebec, you can't just have like 
a GP diagnose you, right? Like you have to have like, I think it's a psychiatrist that has to like formulate you the diagnosis. But he was like, yeah, like I can soft, softly diagnose you that like you have very likely your, you know, ASD and probably ADHD also. And so like, I'm talking to the secretary to like send in the referral. And she's like, well, you can make eye contact. <laughs> it's impossible that you have any of these. Like, yeah. What? Wait, it's a spectrum, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not what? the way any of this works. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was so outlandish. Like, mm, are you sure though? You don't, you know, you don't know everything about trains, though. <laughs> like, pardon? It was like it was like the weirdest things that like this that this like nurse and receptionist were like talking to me about. I'm like, I didn't know that this was criteria I had missed somehow. So like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the very last thing I want to say is this dude was a uh, he's a professor at a very reputable school, Ooh. and it, 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 I just point this out because get a second opinion if your gut's saying this person sounds like they're fucking nuts. That's all I gotta say. Um, I don't know how to segue. So, Candace, Erica, Brennan, one of you go. Yeah, I did it, Brennan. Fight me. He, he says I gotta pick specific people. So, Candace, why don't you go? Okay, so um, <laughs> I'll grab this one then. I have um, yeah, I still have my list here, and then I just had a question just pop in my head, and now it's gone like lightning. Fuck. Um. Oh, hmm. this is where we talk things out. <laughs> when did you get the concept for that? And was there a particular reason that the idea for the story kind of popped in your head or did it come from like a couple different like personal experiences or and I know you have have a disclaimer out there that your relationship with your mother is fine it's fine that but it made me wonder do you have people that you know like that did you have close friends that are like that or did this idea just kind of like pop in your head because you already know I raved about it and it's phenomenal yeah it's a great it, it's horrific and it's it's so well written and you can't help but hate the mother and the whole how it just unfolds is just it's relatable and it's disturbing and it's chilling as fuck and the dialogue is so spot on i was just like read it like i was giving it to everybody like you so, how, like, walk me through where that came from and, and like, why? What happened to you? Who hurt you? <laughs> Have you heard of LSD? No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Sir. I have. Continue. <laughs> no judgments here, man. <laughs> On an unrelated, no, I'm kidding. No, it was really, so, like, there were actually a couple of things that sort of, like, factored into writing this. And, like, the timing also um <clears throat> sorry um so basically i again i love my mother mom who is probably listening to this like in the future i know she's gonna listen to this but somehow i can feel her like ears twitching like i, I promise i have a great relationship with my mom <laughs> but also 
she's a helicopter parent and she always has been. And like, I, I've talked about that before. Like it was in an essay that I wrote um, for Hero Scream uh, volume two. Um, or like just my entire life, my mom is the kind of person who is like very overprotective um, and, and a, like a little bit overbearing, but I love you, mom. <laughs> so I don't mind it. <laughs> but no, but she's always been just like, overprotective. Um, and then like, I was just thinking like, what would happen if you took that to the most like illogical extreme? Like what if you took this mommy dearest, this, this helicopter parent, this like mom who really wants to be there all the time for you and like turned it up to 11, you know, not just made 10 louder, but turned it up to 11. Right. right. <laughs> um, and then like, it also kind of coincided, uh, just kind of unfortunately with my grandmother. So she had Alzheimer's. Um, she'd been sick for like a pretty long time, uh, but her illness because of the pandemic got worse because there was a lot less human contact mm. um, for like all of 2020. There was very limited interaction you could have with her uh, and just her health declined like so fast. And she went from being able to like, she wasn't quite my grandmother for a while. Um, mm. She was able to like speak and, and kind of like say like very simple parrot phrases that she'd get like really excited about and for some reason hum the american national anthem even though we're canadians it was a weird thing but she like took such joy from it um to like not being able to do anything like that like she really wasn't able to speak much um she she became really angry very sullen kind of withdrawn um and it, again she had it for a while but it progressed really fast because of the pandemic and the isolation and so it just sort of happened that it was like sort of at the, I don't want to say like at the end of, of her time, because she only passed away this January, but like it was certainly where it like progressed pretty quickly. And I, I kind of got to thinking like overbearing parent and like what happened if one of them, you know, just suddenly had, because like, you know, a uh, sudden onset Alzheimer's is a thing. So like what happened if someone, you know, was diagnosed with this and, and their escalation happened again, not quite like my grandmother's, but like my grandmother's felt where it was very quick and and very, you know, tremendously fast. Um, and they just sort of like were living rent free in my head as ideas. Mm. And then <laughs> it has to be like the wildest thing. I had like seen dark lit press was like accepting novella submissions. And I had like written out to Andrew and I was like, Hey, there was no end date to this. Like, when are you closing? And he had like, I forget what the date was. I think it was ongoing, but like he wasn't looking past like two or three weeks. And I sat down and wrote like the 25,000 words in seven days <laughs> and edited it and sent it. <laughs> like in the span of two weeks, the book was written, yeah. edited, sent out and miraculously accepted. It was, okay. it was you and like, Candace, this is so fucking not fair. You two are just <laughs> putting on such great work so quickly. Purely, like, I did not think it was going to get picked up. I really wasn't sure about it. But like, as I was writing it, it just felt like brutally honest. Because like, mm -hmm. there are, of course, like sound bites of like my mom and I. Like, we've had the full conversation where like you get in the car with the bag and it's like put it on the put it on the ground. Like, I don't want salt on the back seat of my car. And it's like, but why? Why the fuck am I dragging my bag on the ground through the salt? Like, why would I do that, mom? <laughs> you know. So like, like little things like that, that I like peppered in. Cause like, those were real moments that I'd experienced, but like, obviously amped up for the sake of a novella, <laughs> you know? Um, but like in general, thankfully our relationship is not that. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> well, I thought it was 
great. Um, everything of yours that I've read since your first one that I always pronounce wrong. Palimpsest? Is that- Palimpsest, yeah. Yeah, okay. So like I said, I always pronounce it wrong. I need to I've pick been, a new title. Like, <laughs> I've been a fan since that one. Oh. And I think what I like about you the most, other than obviously you're my twin, um, <clears throat> everything that you write is so wildly different from the last. Y- your range is just you can touch on everything, the emotional impact. I mean, you will wreck somebody from one page to the next. Thank you. And it's just just outright outrageous because nothing I have read of yours has been like anything else of yours that I have read, nor has it been like anyone else's stuff that I have read. And I know a lot of us authors, we have a style we have voice there's a certain tone to what we write and a lot of us tend to stick to the same tone or the same style that's what we're used to that's what we're comfortable with I'm I I I like to think I have a somewhat wider range and I do go everywhere from like the extreme to the mainstream and everywhere in between but I know a lot of my peers that don't but you are on a whole other level with that. And you're on a level that I think most of us try to get to. I'm working on it because I I know for a fact I'm not where you are. I would love to say I am, but I know I'm not. Um, I'm working there and I know a lot of my peers are also trying to widen their range, but it's like you came out of nowhere and you're just like, mic drop, boom, goddamn, here I am. And you can write anything. And I'm just like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, Candice, you're making me so emotional. I'm just like, I I don't like you're one of the few. If if I had if someone were to ask me anytime this year who needs to be read more, who I want to rave about more, who I want to try to aspire to be more like or who inspires me to most. It would have to be you, like, hands down, because the absolute range of your work, not just the emotional range, but the range of your work is outstanding. Like, I can't wait to see what you what you come up with next. I want it first. I want to be on it. I want to rub it on my face because <laughs> I, I, I just want it. Like, you're my spirit animal, and I'm just like, whatever you do next, like, Candace, I love you so freaking much. <laughs> my whole heart is like, oh my god, I feel like so emotional right I, now. You know, those are called palpitations. You <sighs> need to. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll see I my think. way out. You need to. You need to be told, and I think we all need to be told that when there's someone that impacts us in that way, especially us, we are introverted, sensitive creatures brennan and patrick don't act like you're not i know you both very well i can write everything candace we are introverted emotional fragile creatures and we sit in our libraries at our desk all the time and we're like is anyone gonna like this are they gonna read it is it good is good is it good we need to hear it and when one of us is out here doing the things you're doing you need to hear it. You need to know that it's not just the readers that are paying attention. 
it's your peers, it's your colleagues, it's your network. We're listening, we're watching, and I, for one, am a, I applaud every move that you've made because it's impeccable. You need to hear it. And that's so. the preview. I like. I'm getting actually go. like so emotional right now. <laughs> I like. I'm gonna cry. Like Aww. that is like legitimately. Oh my god! I like am so emotional. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Aww. Oh well, but thank you. I hey, told you I, I, I love just, you. Apparently, <laughs> I just want you guys to know. It. I mean, I am a number one out here as far as trying to help others along uplift everyone, support everyone, encourage folks. I mean, you guys know my Twitter feed, kind of what I do, because there's not enough of it. There, there's literally not enough of it. And I just think when somebody impacts you to that point, you need to tell them. You need to tell them. You need to let them know because maybe they are having that bad day or that bad week or maybe that rough month and maybe they are having a little bit of imposter syndrome or that little bit of self-doubt or maybe the story they're working on right now is a little bit of a struggle but when someone comes up to them and they're just like you know what that was fantastic it gives them a little bit of lift that they need because we don't tell each other enough and we don't hear it enough we all hear the bad stuff we all see the bad reviews. Oh, yeah. You know, we all have them. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes we dwell on that rather than trying to support our peers and lift them up and let them know, hey, you know what? What you did the other day was fucking awesome. So, yeah. Hats you off. Such, like, you are <laughs> such a pillar in this community, Candace. Oh, my God. I love you so much. I, like, did not expect to cry on a podcast. But well, that's where we're at today, I guess. <laughs> well, thank where you. we are. You're welcome. Oh, geez. <laughs> I feel like I need a cigarette, like an emotional cigarette. I'm not even a smoker. <laughs> well, like, that was a good time. Yeah. Right in our Erica, please, because I don't think she can handle me anymore. <laughs> oh, geez. I feel like, like so emotional. Like anyone asks me something stupid. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I want to talk, uh, you know, we, we just kind of got done talking about, uh, in a way, productivity and the way, you know, you're kicking out just this wild amount of work. So I, I want to I hear you talk a little bit about, you know, work-life balance. <laughs> no, That's I, I don't understand. <laughs> it's so confused. Um, no, I, so, okay, so like, that's actually such a weird point of contention with me. Um, I am a workaholic. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm legitimately in therapy for how much I work. I do find I like struggle sometimes to like let it go. Cause like, I always want to do better than what I did. I always want to like occupy myself and like push myself to like try something new, try something different. Um, and then there's also just like a part of me that's just like always been very restless about my writing where I feel like if I'm not doing it, then like, I'm not doing it, you know, like, like a panic mode. So for like a while, it was like all consuming. Um, and there just like was, I, I also at the time was working full time at college. So like, that was just like, it was just too much. I was there like 25 hours just lecturing, which is like full time. And then you're actually there like another 25 with like class prep and grading and like all that, you know, all that nonsense. Um, 
So I was like writing every day, like, you know, all weekend from like morning to night. I was writing any break I had while I was at the college, late into the evening, early in the morning, like at family events on hot. Like it was just, it was, it was ridiculous. Um, I, in the last like year or so, I've been trying to take it like more seriously. Um, and of course that's the year where things are doing well <laughs> and I have to be online more <laughs> and I have more things to write. <laughs> so like the, the new thing for me is instead of focusing on like word count, um, I now try to focus on like a limited amount of time, a day to write. And if I don't write in that bracket, then I fucked myself. I didn't write in that bracket. And like, I have to be at peace with the fact that I screwed up that day and didn't write or that I took a day I needed off. <laughs> like there's also that option too. Um, although I still try as best I can to write like every day, even if it's like a little note to myself in a notebook, just like something. Um, but yeah, I've switched from word counts to like time spent writing, um, I have, uh, like, so this is like, I don't know if everyone else does this, it's probably just me, but I'm like super addicted to my phone now. So like I said, like the last year, like things have taken off and I went from having like a thousand people on Twitter to like, we're, we're about to hit, I'm about to hit like 3000 followers, which is like <laughs> 3000 more people than I should have following me. <laughs> I, I like, Talk about my ass online. <laughs> Stop following my Twitter. I'm a that's, human disaster. That's a um, lot less offensive than what most people show. <laughs> well, today <laughs> I decided to be spicy and I posted like a topless photo of myself. Only it's not actually topless. I like drew like a little crop top on me uh, <laughs> as like as like a joke because <laughs> like I refuse. But like you know that was my spiciest post yet. Um, but I'm like always on. I always feel like I have to be promoting. Like I always have to be checking my phone. Um, so now like part of the work-life balance is like, I try not to check my phone after like 6 p.m. Um, and I try not to check it before like nine or 10 a.m. There are of course like little exceptions. Like if I know I, you know, got a poop, <laughs> I'll like check up on the poop, <laughs> you know? I'd Still like addicted. To <laughs> I'd like to actually hear Erica and Brent, uh, Erica and Candace on this because they're really, really smart with this shit marketing. And um, I, I, I think I'm going to go on a limb and say Erica's a little bit better with, uh, with balance. And no offense to you, Candace, you're an absolute brilliant machine. But Erica is kind of the guru in this area, so I, I would love to hear Erica what your thoughts are, followed by Candace. Yeah, just generally like my personal take on work-life balance, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Just what works uh, best for you. Well, I should admit I was not good at it. I still struggle. It took me crashing and burning and my doctors telling me I was going to have a heart attack because I was so stressed out before I realized I got to make a change. Guru. So, yeah. <laughs> so I do a lot of um, sounding similar things. Like I have, I have an iPhone. So I don't know if Android can do it or not, but I can set limits on different apps. So like Facebook, I only give myself five minutes a day. Twitter is at an hour and I should probably shorten that. But similar, I feel like I need to be on there because if I'm not, then I'm missing the conversation. I get kind of bummed out. Yeah. But things like TikTok, I know if I open TikTok, I could sit there for hours and not look up from my phone then be like, holy cow, it's midnight and now I'm going to be miserable tomorrow. So I have like a 20 minute timer on that one. Things like that. Um. And I just kind of like, this is going to sound so stupid because like everybody should <laughs> be able to do this to a certain extent, but like 
listening to your body. I was really, really bad at that for a very long time. And I would just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And I would be getting sick, like physically sick all the time. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just going to, you know, I'm feeling okay for this second. So I'm going to go clean the entire house, not just like clean the kitchen. So I really had to learn how to break things up into smaller chunks and listen and say like, oh, no, you need a mental health day. You're going to literally lay on the couch and just watch Netflix all day. And you're not going to feel bad about it. Because obviously, if you feel bad about taking the time off, you're not actually taking time off because you're still stressing yourself out. So I think just like, it's really important for everybody to find what works best for them and not feel guilty about it and not let other people get in your head and be like, oh, that's what I should do. Because it's not going to work for everybody. Just like all the writing advice that's out there. <laughs> right. You, can say, you need to write for two hours a day or at least five minutes a day, or you need to write X number of words. Like that's just not going to work for everybody. So, mm. yeah. And it's with you specifically, you, you always talk about make sure you stay hydrated and, and like some people might go like, well, yeah, duh, but that is actually, yeah. Um, I, I just want to hear, hear why you always, it's obvious, but I just want to hear why you always bring it up. Me? Um, because you need water? <laughs> um, so I decided to work that in as part of my the most positive person on Twitter approach. Um, <laughs> because I think everyone has gotten used to my wake up one and my evening one and I needed, I, well, I wanted to have something there like the middle of the day to kind of jump in there and be like, Hey, everybody, how's your day? Blah, blah, blah. And I, if anyone is any, anything like me, um, we tend to get caught up in work, writing the day job, the kids stuff, whatever. And while I know a lot of folks forget to eat, I used to forget to drink. Like I would go for hours and not have anything to drink, not have anything to eat, not like, and I would stand up and all of a sudden want to pass out because I've had nothing. So I throw that little afternoon reminder out there. And it's not so much about the water, but if it helps you to remember to, hey, get up and go get something, maybe it's been a while since you've had a drink, but I feel like it helps um, anyone who happens to read it take a break maybe it pops in their head that hey you know what she's right i am feeling kind of hungry or um, i think i do need a refill or maybe i do need to stand up and stretch a little bit and i put those reminders out there basically to myself but for everyone else who may have worked through like from 5 a.m and now it's two in the afternoon and you haven't even moved to go pee yet so like maybe you need to get up and take a break as Your reminders as have actually kept me on track. Just like, just like a total, but like I legitimately every time I'm going to, like I have, I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm drinking a cherry Coke right now. And like every time I take something, I can just like legitimately hear your voice being like, drink your water. And I yeah. have to have my bottle of water now. <laughs> Everything I do, because I hear your voice in my head. It's so working. Like because you're not the only one that has told me that this past week. And you don't know how much that pleases me because I'm like, but it means it's working for a few. And I've had a few folks actually reach out to me and say, you know what? I've been listening to you for about a month now, and I actually do feel better. Like, I, I do. There's been some changes in how I feel and how my body is reacting to this. And I'm like, 
well, good. My work here is done. <laughs> as far as work-life balance, I have none. <laughs> you guys already know I have none. Um, I have said this before. I've said it multiple times. My day starts at five. My day ends at one in the morning. Straight through. Every day, seven days a week, straight through. Um, I start my social media stuff at five. I start editing, reading, writing reviews at five, whatever I need to do. I start my day job between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. I work that straight through about nine and a half hours a day. I log off. I take a break for an hour. I feed my kid. I cook and feed him, do whatever else. And then I'm in here. I'm in here online. I'm writing. I'm editing. I have three whiteboards with my schedule on them. And I do change hats. So I won't sit here and write for 10 straight hours a day unless I have like a deadline. I do change um, every couple um, hours what I need to do. So I have an editing job I need to work on for an hour, hour or two. So I work on that and then I'll change hats and I'm like, okay, I need to work on this story. It needs to be done. So I'll do that for like an hour. And then I remember, you know, my own little hint to myself and I stand up and I take a break and I go get my drink and I come back and then I have something I have to read for a blurb. So I'll do that for like an hour and I come back to the next, whatever is next on that list. Usually from 1130-ish till about one is when I read. So it's not like I'm in here the whole time, like straight up hunched over, like, you know, the hunchback Notre Dame, just typing. But I do take my sort of like my nightly break between 1130 and midnight and I read until about one because I have so many books I have to read for blurbs and reviews and all of that. So I kind of work everything around that schedule and while I know it sounds like a lot, it's manageable for me because it does allow me rotate what I'm working on unless I do have a deadline that I need to do something straight through, then I will. But those rotations keep me mentally fresh. And because I work from home, I'm literally here all the time. So my little bit of housework and little things like that I tend to like mix in in the earlier part of the day or I'll wander through the house and I'll straighten up this or I'll start the dishwasher I'll start a load of clothes whatever it is and when I take my break later that day I'll do like I'll do all that little stuff along the way but yeah I don't take a day off I don't take an evening off unless I really am feeling awful like my head hurts i literally cannot look the screen anymore that day aside from that no i'm online i'm on my phone i'm on twitter i'm on uh facebook not as much anymore because twitter seems to be my main thing but it's necessary as much as we like it or not we need a presence on the platforms and i promote i have my little thing that i do out there I post uh, Instagram and Facebook. I do all that usually in the morning and then again in the evenings. Twitter is probably my main one, though. But again, it's only a few minutes a day. I don't sit and just scroll, scroll, scroll. I come out, I post, I scroll through the couple of things that people have replied to, whatnot, and then I'm done. And then later that afternoon, I do the other check, and, you know, and I post my, hey, get your water, and I'll scroll through real quick, and I'm done maybe half an hour a day 
is what it equals out to. So I don't just sit and scroll for hours. I, I don't have time. I post, I check, I'm done. Scrolling is definitely a killer. Y yeah, I, I, I learned that. So now I post, I reply to what I need to reply to, and I move on. And my schedule pretty much keeps me on track like the rest. So I don't have a balance per se, but I live for what I do. I'm not stressed. Um, I find more stress from my actual job than any of this. And that includes like my website and the editing and the writing and all of that, because there's nothing more I've ever wanted to do since I was like four. This is the only thing I've ever wanted to do with my life. And now that I'm doing it, I'm not about to stop or slow down <laughs> right at this point in time. It's not even a viable option. Like th there's no, I'd I no, no, <laughs> no. This is what I do. This is what I was meant to do. So I love every, mo every mi minute of this. There is no work-life balance. This is my life. Like this is how I'm balancing my life. This is literally my life. So yeah, no. I and I know Eric will tell me otherwise, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love that. Brennan, yeah. do you want to start going to the currently reading? Yeah, we can do that. Why don't we start with you first there, big guy? All right. I am I am reading uh, Moonlight Mile by Dennis Lehane, um, which that is the correct pronunciation, so you got to learn that in the Dennis next like, few weeks. You got to trust me on this. You you got to not call him Dennis Lehan. That's not a thing. Um, I think I was doing that. Okay. Um, Why is your mic? Your mic's all like windy. I don't know. Is anyone else here there? Is that just me? Yeah. That's I don't know. Me. Oh, okay. So uh, this is the sixth book in the Kenzie and Gennaro series. I was going to read one or two before we had him on, and now I'm on the sixth one. Uh, so that's kind of... They, they're very uh engaging and they move and you know it's one of those books where it's like 450 pages and you can get through it in a couple days um just kind of hard to put down and i'm also reading road harvest by brian bowyer who is one of the nicest most supportive people that we have in horror and he has this way of writing just the leanest meanest ass shit um but it's a <laughs> it's a pleasure to like get through um, so I would definitely recommend checking out his stuff if you haven't before. Did you just have the book I was looking down? Um, you can see if you roll it. Nice. Bird harvest. Erica, what are you currently reading? Well, I just got off a binge of reading from Caitlin's books. <laughs> um, I read Femina, then I read A Blackness Absolute, and then I read Magnum Opus. Every single one was incredible. Um, I was going to keep going, but I unfortunately had to take a pause to read a couple more books that I owe people reviews for, but I will jump back in to the rest of your backlog. Um, I am currently reading, and I read the first story in it last night, American Cannibal, edited by Rebecca Rowland. And of course, Candace's story is number one. I read that at 1030 last night, and I it was just like, oh, I'm sorry. What am I doing? <laughs> It was amazing. I'm so excited to see what the other stories have, even though I'm really <laughs> nervous because like the whole, obviously it's a, it's called American Cannibal. You know, it's about cannibal stories. Yes. That terrifies me. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to have to be careful reading too late at night, but that's it. 
Candice, what are you currently reading? I am reading uh, the uh, new one by Bentley Little, the DMV one. And I just got the art for Cold Black and Infinite by Todd Kiesling, which I'm excited to read. So that is next on my list. Nice. Uh, Caitlin, what are you currently reading? Still Lost in the Ice Cream, Tim McGregor. I like just finished it, so I'm not like, I haven't picked up the next read. I have a bunch of like things I'm supposed to blurb, so I need to absolutely read them. So I gotta double check what those are and then get on it. <laughs> I I am the worst, by the way, in case anybody ever in future listens to this and is like, I'm gonna get her to blurb work. I suck at it. Uh just so just be advised. Uh I am slow at reading and I struggle to blurb. Uh so naturally I have a hundred to do. So that's <laughs> uh, that's what I'm reading next. I just started reading this today because I finished year two. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, Preston Fessel. Hope that's how you say his last name. It's called Beast of 42nd Street. Um, I'm only 10% in, but it's just, uh, I'm pretty sure it's based in the 70s because there's a lot of references to it, but it's like a pulpy horror um, sort of deal. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's pretty pretty weird and strange so far. But I mean, then in a loving way, uh, Caitlin, where can people follow you? On Twitter, online, and if you're Candace in real life, as you creep up into my house, um, no, I'm I'm on I'm on pretty much every social media, just like Caitlin Marceau. Um, there's also my website, CaitlinMarceau.ca, uh, which is fantastic if you want to check out uh, everywhere I was published, uh, but haven't updated in like five years. So real blast from the past. Um, and then I, I so I haven't been able to mention it, but I'm, I was officially given permission today to say it. Uh, if you are looking to read some of my stuff uh, and you're like, wow, I really like this is where we talk things out, but I wish it had photos. Uh, then Darklit Press is releasing a special edition of the novella with a bunch of illustrations Ooh. from me. So, yeah. yay. <laughs> so you can look for that later this year. Awesome. I think the spring, but I don't, I could be wrong. <laughs> Brian, you never touched on you guys working in the uh, same publisher house really good that's it <laughs> okay erica where can people follow you i keep saying the best place is probably my blog ericarobinreads.com i've got all those buttons to whichever social platform you like best <laughs> and it's where can people follow you um twitter and my website uncomfortably dark you can find all of my stuff there Brennan, how about you, buddy? Brennan LaFaro on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I think. I don't know if that counts because um, it's not an author page. Uh, BrennanLaFaro.com, BrennanLaFaro.substack.com. Follow me at PR McDonough on Twitter. Follow the show at Dead Headspace on the major social media platforms. Um, now we just got one more question. Kaylin, do you have any final thoughts? I'm muted, so that was fun. <laughs> I thought that was my uh, my headphones. No, again. no. I'm like, why is he scrambling? I'm like, oh, it's I'm the problem. <laughs> checking my mic's. It's wires. I'm the villain of my own story. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> final thoughts. Uh, 
it'd be great if after years of online classes, I could work a microphone. Um, and also everyone here is fantastic. This was just so much fun. Like I, everyone here was amazing. So 10 on 10 place to be online. Aww. Uh, Candice, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, no, I think I've said enough this evening. <laughs> it's been great. And Caitlin, well, you already know. Spirit animal forever. So <laughs> I'm gonna switch things up. I'm gonna go then Erica, then Brennan. Uh final thoughts are Caitlin. It's been um really fun talking to you. You're a wonderful writer. I hope people pick up your book. Uh and that ad that we're gonna be playing for probably months from now. Um an absolute Oh my God, brain no worky. Brian, help me out, buddy. I'm so sorry, Kaylin. It's all good. Just leave him hanging. Okay. Wait till he thinks of it. A darkness absolute. Your mic is bothering the shit out of me, man. Uh, darkness absolute. Uh, yeah, check that book out. Check out the other books that we mentioned today. Um, Erica, final thoughts. Yeah, you were close unless I screwed up my review. Is it a blackness absolute? Oh, yeah. damn it, Brennan. <laughs> close. Um, which, to be fair, I think I texted you guys a few weeks ago and I called it a darkness absolute because I also couldn't keep the title straight <laughs> and for some reason. Um, but yeah, my final thoughts. I just, I took a note earlier. Just, I think this is one of the most personal podcasts that i've ever joined with deadhead space so candace and caitlin i just want to thank you guys for being so willing to be vulnerable and share your stories i think it's always really interesting to hear specific things about that like just from people in general but also from writers to kind of like see where their brains go when they're working through their stories so just yeah thank you yeah it's definitely really nice hearing about all all this stuff with doctors too because that probably hits everyone they just I not think about it. especially seriously especially with guys because the way that like not going to say the name but the way that my dentist talked to me is different than my wife I don't fucking like that and I don't get it uh, yeah he's a dick uh, Brennan final thoughts <laughs> I think your dentist is an absolute fuck um <laughs> My man. Where, where else can we go from there? Uh, you know, Candace warned us that this was going to be the Candace and Caitlin show, and hey, she didn't disappoint. So, Caitlin, <laughs> thank you so much for you know coming on, and Erica and Candace, thank you for joining us and uh, just you know making this show complete. Oh, thank you for having me and making me cry. It was amazing. <laughs> You're very welcome. What a lovely cathartic experience. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode is 192 with that fellow Preston Fessel. We're going to talk to him, talk about his books, talk about film. If you have many choices in podcasts, thank you for picking up.